in preparation uh, for this sermon, I typed into Google, how many times does the average person walk through a door? Uh, And you'll understand why I typed that into Google uh, in in a little bit later in the sermon. But but the top answer to that question um, left me giggling alone in my office. The answer was this, probably zero. Uh, Doors are hard to walk through. (laughs) Door frames are easier to walk through when the door is in an open position and not in the way. That's what, you know how Google like highlights the like most helpful thing for you? That's what it was. Uh, And I was laughing so, I was laughing at myself so hard and also laughing at this answer so hard because I should have anticipated that. I should have written the question differently in my Google uh, search. And yet I did not do that. I was caught in my own narrow understanding of things. Though to be clear, I have most certainly walked into a door, okay? Have any of you walked into a, I appreciate the honesty, okay? It's the full panel glass ones that are really tricky. Those are not kind to us. Or uh, the automatic sliding doors at a grocery store that don't respond the way that you would hope. Uh, And so you walk up to them and they don't move and so you just walk right into the door. I know that um, maybe you're having memories of this. They're like ringing in your brain and and, um, I appreciate that you could giggle with me about these doors. It is true, you cannot walk through a a door. And I learned that and I knew that, but I learned it again, thank you to Google. But you can walk through a doorway. And the humor of it is good, yes, but the truth of it, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 3, is even better. And so as we look at Nehemiah 3, Scott, who led led the children so well in talking about this thing um, that the people of God are creating, uh, we're going to look at that together. Uh, last week, we started a series on Nehemiah. We looked at Nehemiah verses, or verses, chapters 1 and 2, where God calls the exiles back from Babylon and says, I want you to rebuild and restore this thing called Jerusalem. And, and it's, it was God's idea that the people would be brought back and restored. It was not the people's idea. Of course, they may have wanted it, but God had this great idea for the people. And so God brought them back from exile. And, and, and they are a very different people than they were when they, when they left. They came back shaped by their exile, and, and there were things they were ready to do for that. And so we see in, in Nehemiah 3 that they are now um, remaking their home. They're reestablishing the rhythms that serve them. They are rebuilding life, yes, and community and connection after decades of conforming their life and community and connection in response to their exile because they were far from home. And so chapter 3 of Nehemiah offers us this very organized and very specific list of things to be rebuilt and then the people who did the rebuilding. And uh, normally at Newport, it's, it's a practice for us to read the scripture passage, at least in part, and then I, I or uh, the preacher would preach out of that reading. But this passage is really unique. Uh, I would invite you to open up to Nehemiah 3. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you so that you know I'm not just like 
talking about something that isn't in the Bible. But because this passage is so unique, uh, including a lot of Hebrew names, um, I am not going to make you agonize through my failure to read ancient Hebrew names, um, and then all of the vocations of these people. But I want you to open this. If it's in the actual Bible or if it's on your phone, it's really easy to type in there. Google will help you. Gives good answers. Also gives you scripture. Um, so that you can see where we are, what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to summarize it for us. Uh, but the summary will leave things out. And there might be things in here that you find very interesting. So I encourage you to look at it. So what happens is uh, people have returned from exile. Nehemiah is their leader. And he, uh, the goal is that they are rebuilding this structure around the city. And so the people were divided, by, uh, divided into groups and they were given a section of the structure uh, to restore or to rebuild. And these sections were defined not in terms of the wall that they were rebuilding, Okay? They were defined by the gates that they were rebuilding. We're going to hang out there today. Uh, the northern parts of the city of the wall uh, were most damaged by the Babylonians. And so uh, you'll read in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3 that they had to rebuild that section of the wall or the gate. Uh, but then all the other sections that they talk about, they just had to restore those sections or repair those sections. I think that's interesting. So we have a, a list of gates, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And then we have a list of people. A list of people who are very unlikely to be participants in this kind of rebuilding or restoring. Because they represent people from all walks of life, all occupations, all kinds of responsibilities. Those uh, with importance were participating in this work and those who were just regular common people participated together in what I think uh, Nehemiah organized as like neighborhood teams. There were priests and goldsmiths that worked together. There were perfume makers and Levites that participated. This work included women, not just men, and that was pretty revolutionary for that time. And uh, it didn't include, uh, what we don't see listed is a, a list of masonries or carpenters or expert builders, it was not the fancy people with the know-how who got the job done. It was ordinary people who were doing a very faithful task. It's supposed that Nehemiah um, had people in sections in their neighborhoods, and, and if their neighborhood was near a section of the wall, that's the neighborhood, or that's the section of the, the wall or the structure that they were working on. So they were working with their neighbors, the people that they lived right next to, the people that they saw at the grocery store in Jerusalem, the market probably, people they saw at the market, the people that they walked by with their dogs and the people who they grumbled with because the dog would poop and they wouldn't clean it up. You know, like these were the people that they were working with on this structure. And I love this example for us. What we see here is not only a well-organized system for rebuilding or repairing, but it's also the establishment of a new 
community. God was rebuilding them into a new people that involved everyone. Everyone was involved, no matter their position, their status, the longevity of their, uh, their situation in the community, their seniority, their ability, their disability, their knowledge, their skills, or their qualifications, their personality, their perspective, or their gender. Not only is it true that, that a structure was being repaired and rebuilt, by such a great group of people, but that the group of people remained a group of people after it was done, despite their diversity, despite what they were seeking to do. One of the struggles I've had uh, as we have embarked on this series in Nehemiah is this concept that the people are building a wall. Now, I get the walls are important. Literally, we're sitting inside walls right now. Walls help us uh, know our boundaries. Walls shield us from unwanted things like rain and cold and enemies. Uh, And they keep us all connected in one place. There's a sense of belonging that takes place within walls. But walls also keep things out. Sometimes good things that could have been beneficial to those inside the walls. But because the walls were there, they just couldn't get inside. And what I find both comforting and fascinating in chapter 3 here of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah organizes the people and the walled building by gates, not by walls. The gates were the structures that defined their work, not the walls. They were responsible for for the walls on either side of the gate, uh, and they would extend in each direction, and then they would butt up against the other work party. Uh, But they were not responsible for a section of wall between gates. They were responsible for the gate. The permanent boundary, the wall, was not the vision. The gates were. The gate was the vision. And so we have this list of gates in Nehemiah chapter 3 and the people who rebuilt these gates. So uh, if you have it in front of you, you can see, um, a num- see them and follow along with me. First, we have the sheep gate. I like this gate. Um, and this is where the sheep came in. Uh, and it was near the temple so that the sheep could come in and be sacrificed. Now, that, that's a real downer, but it's just the truth of it, Okay. We have the sheep gate. We have the fish gate, which was right near the fish market. So uh, merchants would come with their catch from uh, from the seas, and they would bring that in and then be able to sell uh, fish to the people. Then there's uh, the Jeshana gate, which is the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, my favorite of all the gates, um, because it was near the community dump. So that makes sense. People would know the gate, and they would know where to to take care, um, take their garbage. Uh, but then there's also the fountain gate, the water gate, which was actually not for people. The water gate wasn't for people, but it was the main source of inflow for the city's water supplied by a spring that was nearby. And then there's the horse gate. Um, this is where all the king's horses and all the king's men would enter. Um, and, and, and it was for nobility. So it wasn't that anyone could just come into this horse gate. This was for very special people, apparently. There was the east gate and then the inspection gate. 
Lots of gates. Each of these gates had a very specific use in the city. I've told you some. You could, you could go way headlong into research about each of those gates. Have fun. Let Google be your friend, okay? Um, and the, the names, what I learned in, in all my Google searching this week is that the names of these gates actually changed throughout the ages. Um, and that these gates... I mean, I don't know why I didn't really put this together. So let me put this together um, for you if you need me to. These were the gates that Jesus walked through in and out of in his ministry. And so Nehemiah organizes these regular people and he says, build a gate. And little did they know that the Messiah, the King of Kings, the, the one that they were longing for would be walking through these gates. I mean, could you even imagine? There was a gift in these gates. It's often said that the church is to be without walls. That the church, the body of Christ, is to be, yes, in, but then beyond the physical building of a church. And this is most certainly true. You see, I think if this building were uh, destroyed this afternoon, maybe not right now because we're inside, but if it were to be destroyed this afternoon, uh, there would still be a vibrant and beautiful part of the body of Christ called Newport Covenant Church. And while, I, uh, while we certainly are called to be a church without physical walls, I think the invitation of Nehemiah 3 is to wonder about the metaphorical walls that the church has as well. Because the church has theological walls and organizational walls, walls of policy and procedure. We have emotional walls. We have cultural walls. And I'm really not looking to, to crush any walls here. I'm not looking to be a Babylonian. Because I think walls are important because they do provide safe space and they help us to know our limits and, and they do give us a place to come back to. That's a really beautiful thing. There are theological walls that are helpful to us as we discover the vastness of God. We have to have some place to come back to in that. There are organizational walls that help define who we are and how we function. Uh, the walls of policy and procedure give us patterns and language to cooperate and to collaborate in community. Emotional walls give us points of connection, but also of responsibility. Cultural walls hold up the rich stories of our heritage and our history. But the problem becomes, the problem becomes when we fortify these walls without ever considering the gates. God organized the people's rebuilding by gates, not by walls. Here's this phrase repeated throughout Nehemiah 3 that drives home the significance of these gates. It says, uh, as they're describing like, if you will, look, at, look with me uh, in, in verse 3. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasananana. And that's not his name, uh, but that's what you would have had to deal with if I kept going. Uh, they laid its beams, and then I underlined this in my Bible, and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. 
Okay, this continues with every single uh, section of the gate. They put, it, uh, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. There is no mention in Nehemiah 3 of bricks. There is no mention of rebar or mortar for the walls. Doors, bolts, bars. This was the stuff that was mobile, not immobile. This was the stuff that meant people could get in and go out. This is the stuff that's repeated in Nehemiah 3. I want us to go back to my original Google question. How many times does the average person walk through a door? Probably zero. Door frames are easier to walk through when the door is in an open position and not in the way. I had planned a really great sermon illustration here. I went so far as uh, uh, this week to count all the exterior doors in this church building, just exterior doors. By the way, there are 17, 17 exterior doors. I did not count any of the doors that are interior. And I did this because I wanted to illustrate all the ways that people could come into the church. Oh, I thought that was a great illustration in, in response to Nehemiah 3. Oh, so good. But I was up in the middle of the night, as I am these days, and I realized that I had this whole thing wrong. And I was uh, quite convicted right there at 3.30. <laughs> of course, of course, we delight when people join in our congregation, and it is a gift to expand and to grow, yes. But the goal of this thing that we call following Jesus is not to get more people in here. It is not a goal of mine. It is not a goal of Pastor Paul's. It is not a goal of the elder boards to get more people into the pews. The goal is not to grow our congregation. That goal is too small. It's actually not even biblical. Our particip participation with Jesus in faith is to open wide the doors. Open wide the doors to the kingdom of God. We are not gatekeepers, but we are guides to the gate. We do not keep doors locked. We open them so that we might go out of them, and also that people might come into them. We don't know the combinations to lock up the kingdom of God. We know the combinations to release the kingdom of God into the world. We read this and believe this because Jesus said in John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. I am the gate. He says, whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in, and they will go out and find pasture. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that they will only come in, and then we'll get more and more and more of them. It says they will come in, and they will go out. Come in and go out. This gate does not just open to let people in. 
This gate also frees people to go out. It opens the door for others, and people will flow in, and they will flow out, because that is what the kingdom of God does. That's what the kingdom of God does. Those 17 exterior doors in our building, did you know that most of them are locked? One of them leads to a very scary place. And I, I opened it and I thought, I don't want to close it real quick. Um, a few of them have alarms on them, and that's for very good reason. The goal of these doors is not to be the metaphor that we get people in here and hold them in here and keep them in here long enough so that they can be indoctrinated into whatever this congregation thinks is best. No, the goal of a door is to open and close and let people out. I wondered, what if we went out in all the directions? What if we went out in all the directions? I think about the uh, prophetic and transformational work of Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King today. Today is his birthday. His life was a life of opening doors, of, of liberation, of invitation, of, of kingdom call. And he was certainly interested in bringing people into the beloved community that he believed in, that he himself was a part of. But he was also very interested in the beloved community behaving like a beloved community, which means they didn't all huddle together and count their numbers. They went out. And so he was persistent in exposing the locked doors that, were, that existed in faith and in culture and in society and in politics and in policy. He was not a gatekeeper. He was a gate opener. He was not the gate, but he led others to the gate that is Jesus. And we honor his life and legacy, we as, as people who love Jesus, as we continue to expose the locked gates for all those who are made in the image of God. We honor his life and legacy. We honor his Christ by unlocking those gates and leading others to the gate, saying, you can go in and come out. Jesus is the gate. We are not the gatekeepers. We are the door openers. We lead others to the door. And that's not just true in here. This is not just for church on Sunday mornings. We open the doors for you. It's not so that we can get more people into this church and so that we can have more and more and more and more. We actually want to go out, 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 out. We want people, when they meet us out around, driving and walking and walking our dogs and, and being a neighbor, what is it about that person? that they would emotionally open doors for me, that they would theologically open doors for me, that they would neighborly open doors for me. What is it about that person that would maybe even physically open a door for me? What is it about that person? I ask, I wonder. I think Nehemiah 3 leads us to consider being the kinds of people who open doors. That we would be the kinds of people that fortify 
the gates of the kingdom, meaning that the gates would be able to open and close, that they wouldn't be stuck or locked, that we would honor the gate, Jesus himself, and that we would live in such a way that, that people couldn't help but want to walk through the door of life and discover not just a cool congregation, but a beloved community and the kingdom of God on the other side. Would that be us? Pray with me. Oh God, we think of all the things that get in the way. God, I think of the people who in their pursuit of you feel like all they got was a closed door. God, when we have gotten in the way, would you forgive us? And God, may your gates be wide open for the world. And would we be the people that call and say, come in and go out from here, it's wonderful. And would that work? Would the source of that work and the nourishment for that work be found here at your table? Would it be a delight to receive the gift so that we might participate in the work? In Jesus' name, amen.